Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. And, um, but two weeks ago, Pastor Doug um, started the series about um, Grace Harvest Church DNA. Um, it's one of those things that we like to often return to and talk about. One, for new people that are joining our congregation, but two, as a reminder of who we are. As a Christian, I think one of the primary things that our, our life is held by is by reminders. And things get in the way over and over again. That's the nature of life. But to remind it of who Jesus is, what he did, what that means to my life, what the Bible is, these things are reminders. And so we're going to walk through this series in the next few weeks talking about the DNA of our church and what the heartbeat of it is and who we are in Jesus. And so he kind of hit a few core values I'd like to review. The spiritual DNA, it's the core values in our culture. Um, Grace Harvest Church is, is made up of two things. One, it has a unique story of where it started. That's the DNA. But then you also see there's like characteristics in it that kind of are this evolving thing that continue to grow and continue to change. A few of the things that we can see that are really, really vital in our church are there's eight things that Doug loves to kind of like talk about. The first one is a Jesus-centered church. That everything we do, regardless of how it looks, we always want to keep Jesus at the center of everything. Amen? The second one would be a scripture-following church. That second one means that we believe that scripture is authoritative, meaning that it is the thing that has authority in your life. That if I was to ask Raul about something in my life, we would go to scripture and we'd look at it. We also believe that, that our scripture following church so much so because that everything that we know of Jesus and of God is derived from the Bible. So when sometimes people want to take scripture, they're like, I love God or I love Jesus, but I don't like the Bible. That doesn't work. The two are so closely tied because anything you know about Jesus is in the Bible. And so for us, scripture is our authority. The third thing is we are a Holy Spirit welcoming church. We follow a lot of these practices because we, it's what we see in Scripture. We see the Holy Spirit throughout the entirety of Scripture from Genesis in the creation of the earth. It says the Spirit hovered over the surface of the deep all the way to when Jesus was bodily resurrected and he got near the disciples and he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. That is the Spirit of God that is a part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is the manifest presence of God that we see here in this place and that you take with you out of this place. He is everywhere at all places. And when we gather, we're a Holy Spirit welcoming church. We say, Lord, have your way here. The next thing is a presence-seeking church, meaning that we want the presence of God here in all of our gatherings. In the presence of God is it here in, the, in our gatherings, we don't even really care to do it because that is the primary thing because each one of our heartbeats, and I think many of your heartbeats is, I don't want to come here and just learn a few things to get like a good book reading, but I want to be transformed by the presence of God. I need a real encounter with God, not another self-help book. The next thing is um, an expressive worship church. Um, if you haven't been here, you realize there are people screaming and raising their hands. Um, <laughs> uh, 
it's an expressive worship church. Again, it's the thing that we see in scripture. We see clapping of hands. We see raising of hands. We see shouting. We see dancing. We see all of those things. It's one of the things that I absolutely love. It is amazing when you see someone respond in that way. And I'd encourage you, raise your hands if you're like, I don't really raise my hands. Do something. This, this physical act does something spiritual. You're far more tied to the spiritual than you think in a bodily way. And when you begin to do this, man, I've seen this when the Lord's like, okay, a little obedience. Obedience in the physical literally is connected to things moving in the, in the spiritual. And so when we, think, when we think about worship, it's like doing something physical is very, very spiritual. The next thing is an authentic church. Ooh, I love the authentic, the being authentic of Grace Harvest Church. Probably one of the biggest things is you can look around this room and every week, it, it kind of comes out in this way. You can come as you are. The number one thing I run across when I invite people to church in Moses Lake, the first thing they, they tell me or ask me is, one, I don't have anything to wear. Or two, what do I wear? And what that, what that always illustrates to me is this. They're having to put on something to be somebody else to go to church. But here in this church, it is very evident. We don't care what you wear. Just wear clothes. You know? <laughs> and one of my favorite things about this church is I will see a guy come in a suit and tie. And I'm like, you do you, man. That's awesome. And then I'll see someone come in wearing a t-shirt. And it's usually me in the front row. <laughs> And both of those things are authentic, of who, or authentic to who you are. I love t-shirts. <laughs> authentic church. Will you come as you are? The next thing is um, a people-reaching church. We as a church, we, we don't want to see Moses Lake stay the same. I don't want to see my community stay the same. And I think that over the 30-plus years this church has been here, it has transformed countless lives. From us on staff, kind of like working to do the gathering, but also you are part of the gathering, the congregation, changing and transforming the lives of people, which in turn changes and transforms Moses Lake. And I know that for it has been that way, and it's going to be that way. And Lord willing, I believe it's going to continue to grow. The last thing is uh, uh, number eight, a disciple-making church. That means we are people that replicate kind of like who Jesus is. Paul says it really well. He goes, follow me as I follow Christ. It's a really simple thing. That means like, I know Jesus. I've walked with Jesus. You new believer, come walk with me and I'll teach you what it means to follow Jesus. I am a product of a disciple of, many of you don't know, maybe, of Raul. As a young person, Raul was the one that pursued me when very few people did. And he, he brought me alongside as a disciple. And then, lo and behold, I work here now. <laughs> so the first point we're going to really just focus on is a Jesus-centered church today. Those are the eight points that Doug kind of hit on and kind of did a really quick overview and today, we're going to do a little more in-depth look about the first point, a Jesus-centered church. I want to read this, uh, this passage out of Colossians 1. Um, do we have it up on the screen? 
Grant. There it is. Um, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, um, NLT. Let's read this passage. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. We're going to kind of walk through a few of these things that Paul had written to the, the city of, uh, or the people of Colo- in the Colossians. And it's, the first one is, Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Meaning this, if you're here in this room and you want to know more about God, you want to know about more of his character or his nature, or what it even means to be like, man, I want more of God in my life. You have to look at Jesus. He is the visible image of God. So you want to know how to treat people? Look at Jesus. You want to know how to deal with your neighbor? Look at Jesus. You want to know how to deal with this problem or this this issue? You have to look at Jesus. He is the thing that we have to look at and we have to focus on and we have to replicate. To be a Christian in and in itself means to be a little Christ. Meaning that the truest version of who you will be is to look like Jesus here on this planet. The second thing, kind of walking through that passage, everything that exists was created through Jesus Christ. He is the creator equally with the Father and the Holy Spirit. In Scripture, we see something very unique and kind of mind-breaking oftentimes. We see, they call it the triune nature of God, that there's Father, there's Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father God being the Godhead, He's one, of the, he's one of the components of God, is that is a God in the God. And then you see the Holy Spirit, which is the manifest presence of God. You yourself, you are a physical being, but you also hold a presence. So always think about it. God himself is, is real and alive, but also he has a presence that he brings. And both of those things are fully God. Jesus is the physical form as sent as his son that we see, but he himself was fully God too. We see that all three of these throughout the entirety of scripture, even from Genesis, it says, let us talk together and create man. If you read the passages, you begin to see the word not me as God speaks, but you see us because it's talking about the Trinity nature of of God. The next kind of thing walking through Colossians is everything is being held together through Jesus Christ as well. He not, he not only made it all, but he is the glue of all creation. Can you guys do something with me? 
just take a breath, like, hold it and let it out. Right there, you hold the very life-giving nature of who Jesus is. That's Christ. Giving you air and lungs to breathe. In Hebrew, we always see it as this, this phrase called ruach, which means the breath of God, which means energy and life force. And everything from the beginning of time is, is pretty much indwelled completely with this ruach and breath of God. That every living thing, regardless if you accept Jesus or reject Jesus, you're still a benefactor of the life-giving nature of who God is. That he loves you and that he's for you. That you, he gives you such free will that the breaths you breathe are a gift from God. That he gave you life. Even if that life is to choose to reject him, that is still free. He's like, man, that breath. When you walk through the grass, when the snow finally melts, <laughs> you see life. He holds that grass together. You see the sun. You see animals. Jesus' life force, the Ruach of God, is everywhere. The breath of God holds all creation, but also sustains all creation. It's really beautiful, and you can't get away from it. The next thing, Jesus is the head of the church everywhere. The church is his idea, and he is in charge of his church. We will answer to him on, on how well we did representing his will. There would be no church of Jesus' followers without Jesus. We are here right this minute because of Jesus alone. It's probably one of the things I think about the most when I come to church gatherings is I always look out at many of you guys and think, we would never even know each other <laughs> if it wasn't for Jesus. That all of us come to this place isn't because of anything, but because we want to know more about Jesus. That we're tied by Jesus. That we probably have a thousand different views. I guarantee we have a thousand different views on things. But the one thing that we can always agree on as Christians is, man, isn't Jesus something? Isn't Jesus everything? Isn't Jesus like, man, he transformed my life. What did he do in your life? And that we can come together, we can sing these songs, we can learn about scripture. It's because we love Jesus. It is the thing that ties us and the things that hold us. And I think this is a really important thing to always maintain in your mind, especially when you think, feel culture has a very dividing nature even now. Christians against Christians, all sorts of things are beginning to happen. But we need to remember the primary thing isn't we tied, we're tied together isn't because we all think the same. We hold the, the same views on life or policies or whatever, but we're all tied together because of Jesus. And that is what's gonna, that's what it was before, is what it is now, and what it's gonna be in the future. Jesus is the great unifier and the very reason why we all gather together. Jesus Christ, the kind of the next thing, kind of walking through Colossians still, is first in everything. He's number one. As long as we keep him number one, so many other things will fall into place in our life. 
If we're close to Jesus, we'll worship him biblically and expressively. We'll keep, we'll keep scripture in our authority. We'll be authentic. We'll seek his presence. We'll love and reach people. And we'll make room for the Holy Spirit to move among us. And we'll make more disciples that follow Jesus. Years ago, I had this revelation of just in my own walk with the Lord. Asking or even pleading with the Lord to kind of work through areas of my life where I'm like, Lord, you need to do this in my life. Lord, I, I, I need more of this. Lord, I need help with this temptation. Lord, I need this. And I, I had this revelation that oftentimes I found myself going downstream where I can really find the source that is Jesus. That oftentimes we look for the virtues of God where what we need to do is just be with God. In that, in that presence, in when you spend time with Jesus, things will naturally flow downhill. You want to deal with that temptation more in your life? I would, I would even challenge you to focus less on the temptation and focus more on Jesus. You want more of his nature and his character? And you're like, man, I need to stop getting angry so much. I would challenge you to stop thinking about not getting angry as much and just go hang out with Jesus more. It's just beautiful in this wild thing because things flow downhill. And when you sit in the spring, in the wellspring, Jesus says that in the scripture, I am the wellspring of life. It bubbles up out of me. You sit in his presence, everything else will flow downhill. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you'll look like him. And you want peace? Hang out with Jesus. You want to deal with that temptation that just keeps wrecking your life? Hang out with Jesus more, and your life will be transformed. I feel like oftentimes in the same vein, if this is Jesus across, a lot of times we, we always want to keep him, or always we want to keep him central and kind of keep him at the center of everything that we do. But what happens at times is weird things happen. And we're like, you know, Jesus, I want like, I want this part of my life to happen. And we add something to Jesus. And can it even be a nature or a virtue of Jesus? But then we begin to look at this instead of this. We'd be like, you know, Jesus, like, man... I really like how you treat people and like I want to do all these amazing things for this community and like love people but I don't really want like to do everything that you do and I know that you would do that but I kind of want to do my own thing. And you focus on maybe even the good issue in a good thing but what it does is it takes your focus off of Jesus. It does something where it's just like no 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 you got focused on the issue and you lost the most important thing, which is Jesus. The entire story of the Pharisees is that. Jesus was so angry is because they did these things that were in Scripture, but they lost love. They lost the heart of Jesus. They lost the heart of what it is means to even love and follow God. We even add our agendas to Jesus like all the time. We're like, you know what Jesus would love? This. <laughs> and then we talk, to, we talk to Jesus and be like, you know, Jesus, this is great and all, but have you seen this? This will blow your mind. Or we even have these things that we just like, the good works that we do. You're like, you know, 
I know I don't do this or that, but, you know, I'm a good person. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't cuss for 48 hours. <laughs> and we attach these things to Jesus, and we think that we were really just like, I love Jesus. No, you love the thing you attach to him. Our mission and our goal as a Christian is to keep him central. Maybe even during this time, I think it's a beautiful time, is you have views and, and opinions. You're like, you know what? I think this about this issue in our culture. I think this about maybe who I should vote or who I shouldn't vote for. I think this. And we begin to keep attaching things to Jesus. And what happens is when you attach that to Jesus and make this your primary thing and your primary focus, you'll lose the beauty of Jesus. And now you have just picking and chose. You're like, this is what I love. And you turn around to another Christian and you go, you need to agree with this agenda, this thing that I'm following. And the other Christian's like, wait, what? I know you derive that from Jesus or you, you, you kind of got that from him, but that ain't Jesus. That political candidate ain't Jesus. doesn't matter what you think. doesn't matter what they because Jesus is the great unifier. He is the thing that will hold us. He is the thing that will keep us. And as Christians, it is always and will always be about Jesus. Amen? The next thing it talks about, um, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ, and he's reconciling all of creation to God through his death and resurrection. Jesus, not your agenda or viewpoint or belief, Jesus is the solution for this world. The sin and the issues that you see in your life, the addictions that you're wrestling through, a self-help book won't help as much as Jesus will. It may work through that stuff, but the solution to sin in this world is Jesus. The problems that we see in our own community, maybe in our own household, our own country, in our own world, at the root of all of it is sin. In various forms, in various ways, sin takes its, its course, and the solution to all of that will always be Jesus. He is the solution for the world. In Colossians 1.20, it, it says that so beautifully. It says, through God, through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus is the thing that is the solution to bringing man and God back together. That sin was this great divider. Sin was this thing that is still wreaking havoc on our world. But Jesus will always be the solution. In Matthew 17, um, we see this thing about Jesus being central but also supreme. And it's uh, Matthew 17. Jesus is with a few of his disciples, and he decides to go up a hill or a mountain. And his disciples follow him. And let's read the passage. Matthew 17, 1 through 8. I'm uh, reading through the ESV, the English Standard Version. And it says this. And after six days, 
Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, then behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, son from whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Peter, and, Peter James, and John accompanied Jesus to the top of the high mountain to gain a new perspective. Oftentimes, we find ourselves not walking with Jesus, and we lose our perspective. The first thing that we can take from this passage is always follow Jesus to gain the highest and clearest perspective. The second thing we see is Jesus is changed into a bright, shining, dazzling, and glorious being. They had to follow him up higher to see him this way. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you see who he actually is. You, you know, I think about this when, when people are maybe unsaved or they're not Christians. They think Jesus as this, maybe this, this great figure in history. And they think he's a good teacher and all these things. But when you get saved, something begins to shift. You see Jesus as more than that. You're like, oh my goodness, Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus gave me grace when I didn't deserve any. And he grows bigger and bigger in your mind. And not because he was never that. It's because you changed. You begin to see Jesus as he actually is. That he's not just a historical figure, but he's God in flesh, savior of the world. Peter, James, and John saw a glimpse of who Jesus really is, and they saw more of him. The more you spend time with Jesus, the more you see his character and his nature, and the more and more beautiful he becomes. Moses and Elijah also appeared in this story in Matthew with Jesus. And they represented two things. Moses kind of personifies and illustrates the law, meaning the, the Ten Commandments, things like that. And Elijah personifies the covenant prophets. They represent the glory of Israel, but they also represent something that started, but Jesus was there to fulfill. So when they saw Jesus and they saw Moses and Elijah, they saw this thing that was unfolding, was Jesus said, I am, the I am the fulfillment of the law. And so you saw the things that God started in Moses, in Elijah. You saw that God established the Ten Commandments for his people through Moses. You see that God worked through the prophets in Elijah. But then you see Jesus, and he was the only one that remained, 
as the fullness in the completeness of both of those things. Now, how do we even understand that? Like, it's this. You following the Ten Commandments isn't enough in the life of a Christian. Some of you are like, you know. (laughs) It's not. You following the Ten Commandments isn't enough in the life of a Christian. Jesus even was just like, that is a level, but I'm here to fulfill it. Now, you're like, what does that even mean? The Ten Commandments says, do not murder. Okay, good, good plan. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> some friendly pastoral advice. Don't murder people. Um, but Jesus took it one further. He, he leveled up. He fulfilled it. He got to the heart. Jesus said this, don't hate. Because if you hate, it's like murder. And so now, it's not about what the act that you do of murdering, but it's this. It's when you have hate in your hearts, the source of where it is, that's what Jesus is after. He's like, I'm after this thing, the source of who you are. It's not enough that you wouldn't murder, but now you can't hate. Don't commit adultery, okay? I can do that. I can protect myself. Jesus takes it one further, and he's like, don't lust after that woman. Whoa. Because in all of these things, the Ten Commandments isn't enough. He is the fulfillment, the completion of the law, and he gets to the heart of the issue. When we see these three disciples, kind of Jesus' three closest disciples, walk up, with, walk up the mountain, and then Jesus transfigures and these things kind of trans, transpire. Did you hear what Peter said? The first thing is he wanted to build something for them. He wanted to make something for them. And I find it to be the most human response ever. He has an encounter with God, the Alpha and the Omega, who spoke existence just into being, just spoke and things begin. And he wants to build a tent for this guy. <laughs> you get oh, kind of what I'm... <laughs> and that's why God literally interrupts him. He's like, this is my son who I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Because the idea sometimes that we get stuck at, the things that we create, sometimes we're like, oh, this is for God. And sometimes they just don't matter. Oftentimes when... Working in youth ministry, um, this wall, you see this half wall? This half wall has more holes in it (laughs) than you could ever imagine. I would actually venture that this entire wall is actually made of patchwork more than actual drywall. (laughs) Even three weeks ago, there was a huge hole in it through a foot. A foot went through it. Uh, shout out to Timothy Dick Joes for uh, <laughs> fixing it on the fly. But the thing is, it's this. Every time this happens in a building on a Wednesday night, my response is usually, sorry that happened. Kids usually freak out because they broke something. But you know what my response is always? It doesn't matter. It's a bummer that it's a hole in it, but we, we can fix it. But this building is just a thing. The thing that we're always seeking and always looking for is Jesus in the presence of God. 
a hole in the wall? I don't. The kids usually freak out. <laughs> They're like, I'm sorry, you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm glad you're sorry. That, that's fine. We'll fix the hole, but it's just stuff. The thing that Jesus wants isn't for you to build a tent for him. He wants your life and your heart, and he wants you. And so when stuff breaks here, stuff breaks because I don't care about stuff. But I care about people encountering the living God, and that's what's important. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. God, the Father, declares the most important message kind of in this passage in Matthew. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus is number one. Always keep that in your mind. Disciples were terrified in that moment. One, because they were seeing this crazy, crazy things, and then they started talking, and then a voice kind of interrupted them, and, and they were shocked and, and probably very, very humbled. And you know what's really beautiful in that moment is God's nature and Jesus' nature to his disciples. Even them, they spoke out of line, and they kind of did like the, the dumb thing. But now they're terrified. They're laying down. They're, they're really just humbled. And Jesus' response is really, really beautiful, and I think that sometimes this would be our response. He doesn't walk over and, and kick them. He doesn't walk over and be like, I can't believe you said that. He's like, don't be scared. Get back up. It's such a beautiful illustration of how Jesus is to us, but how we should treat people as well. When they lifted up their eyes after they see Moses and Elijah standing with Jesus. They lift up their eyes, and they see God speaking in the cloud, and, you know, they fall on their face. The only thing that is left is Jesus. There's not a cloud. There's not an Old Testament prophet. There's not the law. But the only thing that remained is Jesus. There is no tent being built. There is nothing. Because it will always be about Jesus. It won't be about this thing that maybe is taking center stage in your mind. It'll be about Jesus. It's not even about this building. About the things that you acquire. It's just about Jesus. It's not about the rules that you could keep. But it's about Jesus. It will always and forever be about Jesus. Can you guys stand with me?